Shalom from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to Conversations with Yael Podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each month, I will invite leading thought leaders, pastors, rabbis, and other influential guests to discuss the importance of Israel in the world today. For those familiar with my weekly podcast, Nourish Your Biblical Roots, which explores the Jewish roots of the Christian faith, this podcast takes that understanding and translates it into ongoing support for Israel among Christians and the critical need to nurture that support with the next generation of Christians. Join me now as we begin this important dialogue. When Russian tanks rolled into Ukraine more than a year ago, no one expected that the brutal war would still be raging today. Yet here we are. For the past 13 months, Russian rockets and bombs have been destroying the peaceful cities and villages of Ukraine. Since that time, tens of thousands of civilians, children, women, elderly, have been viciously killed, maimed, and tortured. The pain and the suffering are incomprehensible. Tragically, many of those suffering are Holocaust survivors, elderly who miraculously survived the horrors of the Holocaust, only to inconceivably find themselves now facing the terror of yet another war in their waning years. Thankfully, since the beginning of the war, with the support of our many friends and partners, the fellowship has been at the vanguard of providing life-saving aid and assistance to the people of Ukraine. Because of the vision and work of my father, fellowship founder Rabbi Chil Ekstein of Blessed Memory, the fellowship has been on the ground in Ukraine for the past 30 years. We were uniquely situated to immediately mobilize in order to help the Ukrainian people as soon as the war broke out. Last year alone, thanks to our amazing partners and friends, we gave $28 million in emergency aid to help the people of Ukraine, the largest and most comprehensive emergency response in the fellowship's 40-year history. We rescued 1,600 orphans, provided over 30,000 blankets, and delivered tens of tons of matzah to help Jews in Ukraine celebrate Passover. We sent seven planes carrying 95 tons of humanitarian aid to refugees and stranded Ukrainians. We provided emergency housing for 80,000 displaced refugees and brought 4,819 Ukrainian Jews to Israel to start a new life here in the Holy Land. We were able to accomplish all of that and were able to continue our efforts, again, thanks to the generosity of our amazing Christian and Jewish friends and supporters, but also thanks to the incredible dedication, day and night, of our staff in Israel, who have made numerous trips to Moldova and Ukraine to assist those in need. As we mark this tragic milestone of the war's one-year anniversary, I am so proud and honored to have joined me on the podcast today, one of those dedicated staff members to tell us of his experiences, Gadi Teichman Dan. Gadi, welcome to the show. Hello, Yael. Thank you so much for having me here. I am so honored just seeing the way that you are always on and ready to do anything in order to help the mission, to help save lives, and to do it so humbly and effectively is something that has inspired me and I know will inspire all of our listeners as well. 
Thank you so thank you so much. Um, this is such an important and meaningful work, and I'm really happy to to just be able to do something to support the people in need. Thank you so much. So before we begin and jump into everything in Ukraine, you've been in Ukraine, you've been in Odessa, you're going to be telling us about that. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you joined the fellowship offices in Israel called Karen Liadidut, which literally means friendship in Hebrew. How did you get involved with the work and what drew you to be part of this organization? So I, I've worked in the fellowship uh, in Israel for almost two years now. In 2021, I, be I began my work. But, you know, I heard about the fellowship um, even before. Because, you know, when you live in Israel, it's impossible not to know about the fellowship with all the amazing works that we are doing here. So, for example, I worked for almost 14 years in the Israel Airports Authority. And I saw the many Olim coming on planes uh, to Israel making Aliyah. Um, so this is part when I this, this is the first time when I really heard about the fellowship. Um, my aunt works in the welfare department in uh, one of the cities in the north, and she sometimes tells about her job and what she's doing, and about the limited resources that they have uh, to help so many elderly people in need. And she mentioned a couple of times the the help from that every time that she needs any extra assistance, she knows that she can apply to the fellowship and the fellowship will be there to help the people in need in her city. So naturally, you know, when I heard about the, the uh, opportunity to join the fellowship family here in Israel, uh, I didn't hesitate and um, I immediately applied. Um, I work here in the marketing and communication department. I'm the content manager. So in my work, um, in my field of work, I, I spend a lot of the many days in the field, like seeing our activities, talking to the people who we help and sharing uh, what we are doing with our supporters here in Israel and all over the world. Incredible. And you have a passionate heart for everything. And it, it, it makes sense hearing the family you come from, your aunt who's helping in the welfare department and um, always just being exposed and led towards doing things to help people that you've made such an impact in so many different ways in your own way. And one of the things that so much impressed me was when the war began, we needed to set up offices in Moldova because there were so many Jewish refugees leaving Ukraine and going over the border to Moldova. Um, I would love to hear about your first visit to Moldova. Um, what were your thoughts before going there? And like most Israelis, you've served in the IDF. Did that experience help you at all to prepare you for what you saw in Moldova during wartime with refugees flooding over the border? Well, you know, it's hard to believe that it's been more than a year since the war began um, yeah. and so many things have changed. Um, of course, yes, I served in the IDF like um, almost every Israeli for three years. Um, and, you know, we live here in Israel and we, we have security threats all the time. So, um, you know, I, I thought before going there, uh, I, I wasn't afraid. I was thinking to myself, you know, like I understand what, what military operation is. Mm -hmm. I live under, un, under rocket fire here from Gaza Strip. Mm -hmm. And... Um, going, going there, I thought that I was ready. Um, but, you know, 
just on the way uh, to Moldova, I began to realize that, no, this is something completely different. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, a, the a Moldovan airspace was closed. So right. normally it, it takes two and a half hours uh, getting from Tel Aviv to Chisinau. Uh, this wasn't possible on the, in, after the war began because my journey took 18 hours. And on the plane, I saw some Ukrainian, Ukrainian people from Israel returning to Ukraine to join the military and help to defend, to defend their country. And I realized that, you know, this is completely different, different situation. And even if I saw that I could understand what, what the meaning of war, this is a completely different war. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, one of the largest military uh, forces invading, invaded Ukraine, a constant shelling, a fire, and so many people have to just stop everything and leave because their lives are, are in danger. So this this was my impression from um, like just from going to Moldova. Of course, arrive, arriving there, um, you know, I immediately immediately start began began working. Yeah. So the, the, the first the, the first thing is just like when I cross the border, you know, you see um, from, I, I arrived from from Romania. We need to cross by car. So um, Ukraine Ukrainians were trying to leave Ukraine and get into Europe. Um, so there were huge line of line of cars like crossing from Moldova to Romania and into Europe, but wow. nobody was doing the the, the other the, going the other direction. Um, nobody was going to, to get closer to Ukraine. When I when I arrived, um, one of the the things that um, really like emotion was very emotional emotional for me. It's it was even before getting to the border with Ukraine. It's a meeting a orphans from Odessa. The Odessa mm -hmm. orphanage was evacuated in one of the first days of, of the war from Odessa, and I was in Odessa just three weeks before the war, and I was in this orphanage meeting with those children um, having lunch lunch with them talking with the staff you know seeing them living the normal life it and was suddenly, life as usual they didn't think that they were going to be invaded just a few weeks later no not not at all and suddenly three weeks later i see them in a diff completely different location yeah. um, on the on having to run away from 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 their home from ukraine um, after after this, we, we we went to the border, and mm. honestly, this was very emotionally very 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 difficult because, again, you know, nothing can prepare could prepare me for the scenes that I saw on the border. Just imagine, you know, it's it's still winter. It was a, a March first, okay? But it was it's snowing still, now. It's it was snowing. It was yeah. under I think thirty Fahrenheit degrees. Um, Freezing cold, um, snow, um, snow, snow on the sides of the road. Now this border crossing is not is not built for so many people crossing it, right. uh, and you see those many cars waiting on the on the Moldovan side of the border, waiting for people to to cross and maybe and pick them up in into Moldova, and we are arriving and you know, I see so many people crossing. Mm. No constant constant stream of people uh, walking, 
exodus, exactly a walking, and they have those exhaustion, exhaustion on, on, on their faces, terrifying look in their eyes. And, and what was really, you know, I had to took a few minutes just to, you know, get get myself together because yeah. literally seeing this made, made, made me cry. It, it was like being in, just a minute, it was like being in a World War II a movie set, but yeah. suddenly realizing, no, this is not a movie. This is, this is real. This is happening in 21st century. So you see a, mostly women with children and elders, no men were, uh, could leave Ukraine. So you see women and children, um, mothers holding their babies in hands. Um, after they waited for, uh, after on, only after talking with people, and soon they waited almost 24 hours at the border just to cross because so many people tried, tried to exit and had to walk for miles because no buses were allowed to cross from Ukraine to Moldova. So they walked in miles in, in, in the cold. And just imagining this horrible situation for, for those poor mothers, children and, and elders having to experience this, um, the, the, this it, it, it was really horrible. Sounds like such a powerful experience from the vivid description that you give of driving against the traffic that everyone's trying to leave Moldova, to leave Ukraine, and you're just driving closer and closer and closer to the war zone. And then getting there and seeing something that none of us have ever seen in our life, a mass exodus of women and children with the clothing on their back, just trying to find safety and leaving everything behind. It's um, such a comfort to know that you were there and you were there with uh, others representing the fellowship and bring just a little bit of comfort. What did you see in these people's eyes when they finally, after you say, waited 24 hours uh, to cross the border and they're walking, many of them, the final miles over the border? Just I've seen the pictures of the women holding their luggage and their baby and snow gathering on their uh, coats and their faces. And then they see the fellowship there with food boxes and with warm uh, uh warm clothing, everything that they need, was there a sense of relief when they finally arrived? You know, like uh, we were talking right now and, and I literally have tears in my eyes just remembering this uh, this again, because uh, you, you could see the relief in, 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 in their eyes. Yes, mm -hmm. because they're finally, they're managed to evacuate and they're no longer in 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 the state of war but they also a lot of fear uh, because what happened because how they suddenly the reality changed and because not knowing what's going to happen next and this is why it was so important for us being there you know uh, from the fellowship giving them food when they arrived helping them to get on the buses uh, to arrive to Chisinau to a uh, special refugee hubs that uh, were built with the support of the fellowship uh, together with our partners uh, mm -hmm. where they could have a rest, a sleep and you know a time to decide what's next. Um, so and after speaking with people also you, you know like I when, when people cross the border I begin, I begin 
talk with them, just hearing their experience. They wanted to share their experience because it was difficult for them to hold it inside. And now when, when they finally crossed the border, they felt that, okay, now we're free, we can relax. At least we are not in danger anymore. Right, right. I think in these children, all of us see our own children, that suddenly when you see the children, you realize how this could be anyone, this could be any one of us. And to be in a position to be able to help is just highlighted even more because these vulnerable children who have no one to turn to, and you think of what you would do for your children, and suddenly it puts everything in perspective. You're so so right about it. So and if I can get personal here, um, I myself was born in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, and my family made Aliyah 33 years ago, and there is no day passing by that I'm not thanking my parents for making this decision and 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 bringing me to Israel. And seeing those people at the border, it made me think, you know, it, if my parents stayed in Ukraine, this could be me. I have two children, seven and eight years old, and um, I could be here trying to cross this border uh, to, to get to safety. No, I sp- I remember this like sp- talking to um, a woman. I think her name was v- Veronica, and she has two kids with her, uh, also similar ages to to my kids. Mm-hmm. And she she was uh, she, she lived in Kiev, and she was just you know talking about about her normal life, like everything. She she didn't know that the war is going to start. She didn't prepare for it. He, she was talking about her son that he was preparing for a judo tournament um, that was supposed to take place in the day that the war broke. And suddenly, instead of going to the judo tournament and trying to win the gold medal, she need she needed to wake him up and say, now we have to leave. Just take, a, take the clothes that you have on you and we have to leave. And she was t- t- talking about her... Um, how she managed to, to 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 get out about driving in in their car with her husband who was in the car but couldn't couldn't get all the way to to Moldova but she said that uh, that her husband put the pass the, the the passports of the kids in their jackets because he was thinking that if on the way i will be shot mm. at least that my children will have their documents so uh, they will have documentation who they are and just this thought about like a parent having to think about the life of, of his children, it's, it's awful. I mean, it's really awful. Yeah, yeah. It's something that nobody could believe could happen in our lifetime until it happened. And, and you and the fellowship was there to not only witness it, but to provide a little bit of comfort. We've been talking about the beginning days of the war. Um, Since then, it's been a little bit over a year. You've been back inside of Ukraine and in Moldova. How has the situation changed since what you're describing now? Um, Is it the same situation? Is it different? In what way uh, are people inside of Ukraine both surviving and are people still leaving Ukraine? So... Look, for Ukrainians, there is life before February 24th and yeah. after February 24th. And like from, from, from what I witnessed before, when, when, uh, when I got there before the war, um, nobody was preparing for the war in Ukraine. Like people were continuing right. living their uh, normal life. Nobody was like buying more food, uh, stocking, stocking up food. Um, but here we in the fellowship under your leadership. I mean, we were preparing preparing for, for escalation. And 
and the talks with, with our partners are asking for their needs. So when it happened, we were immediately uh, able to take action. And like my, I, I arrived there four days after the war began. Um, and situation changes all, all the time there, because if, if the, in the beginning there was Russian invasion into Ukraine, um, Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, uh, tanks were in the suburbs of, of Kiev, um, other other par other parts of uh, of Ukraine was also occupied in the first days of war, and people suddenly couldn't use uh, their bank account because uh, all the ATM machines uh, didn't work. So uh, there were shortages of uh, food. People were standing in long lines just to get bread. You know, like basic things like bread uh, wasn't available to. It wasn't possible to. to, to it wasn't possible to buy. Um, so as war continues, you know, the, the, the chain of supply is, is, is getting better, but the situation of the people who are staying there is still very, very bad. Like we, you know, we have to understand like um, for a Ukrainian currency devaluated. So people who were saving money, suddenly they have only third of it because, because of the state of the, of the economy. So, and they don't have money to buy food. Everything has got so expensive. People lost their job. People uh, don't uh, deny themselves from, from things that they maybe before could, could, could afford. Um, so now maybe, you know, there are, uh, there are still shelling and attacks from, from and now it's drones that flying from Russia to Ukraine to, to attack the infrastructure. But, now, actually, the, the war is in, in different stage uh, when uh, so many of uh, essential infrastructures are uh, hit by the Russian and, and damaged. So people live without electricity, no regular water supply. Um, so the situation is That's very different. That's a really good point, Gadi, because when I, I was in Moldova just a few weeks ago, and I've been on the border of Ukraine, Moldova, since war began around four or five times. And what I realized last time was when you talk about what we say, you know, the uh, electricity is, is hit. So the electricity goes down and the water. And people in America don't necessarily understand how the water is connected to electricity. So when the main infrastructure of the electricity goes down, it's actually the water that goes down as well and everything that goes with it. I remember speaking to a woman who I brought a, a food box to um, and she said, I have money. The problem is I go to the market and there's no electricity, so I can't use my credit card. So the money that I have in my bank, that's enough to buy a little bit of bread and milk it's not accessible. And so I need to rely on you that you realize how everything is connected, that you're dealing with people who were poor before the war, because even before the war, the communities in Ukraine were suffering, especially the Jewish communities who it's really these remnants of the Holocaust survivors who remained in Ukraine. And many of them never got their life together to be able to be independent that anyways, we were helping with the Holocaust survivors in their final years. And now that the war hit, like you pointed out, the 
the, the currency is devaluated. There's sometimes no access to the money that they have. When they need basic items, it's not always accessible. That from a country that even before the war was so at risk and the Jewish community there of going hungry and needing heat, now you see that situation just highlighted to an extent that we couldn't have imagined, but that thank God we were prepared for. Yes, yes, in, in, indeed. Because um, I've been to um, to Mykolaiv, is yeah. a city in southern Ukraine, which was um, almost occupied by the Russians. And I saw people in, in the winter, like we're talking about, about January, just um, less than two months ago, uh, in the freezing cold, going out to to with buckets, uh, plastic buckets, to, to fill them with water. Wow. Like things that we took for granted, it's it's luxury now in Ukraine in some in some parts of Ukraine, and when you think about the elderly in the Jewish communities, the Holocaust survivors, so many of them are still living in Ukraine. So just just imagine they have no electricity, right? And they live in let's say fifth floor of their building. The elevator you can't use the elevator because if suddenly there is no electricity, so you have to walk down. Yeah. And many of them are too weak to, to walk down and, of course, even to, to go up. So they rely on the help of the, of the, of the Jewish, uh, Jewish organization, of, of, to, of, to our help, to provide them with, with basic, basic needs, food and water, yes, and medicine. Right. Right. I think as you're talking about the Kerry Temboons, the uh, righteous of the nations during the Holocaust who had to risk their lives in order to hide the Jews, in order to keep the uh, Jews who were escaping the Nazis during the Holocaust alive. And there is a whole forest in Jerusalem dedicated to those righteous of the nations, the non-Jews who helped help save the lives of the Jewish community. Um, and I think about how today it's a different situation, but we have these righteous amongst the nations, these Christians, hundreds of thousands of them who through the fellowship are going and providing the food and the medicine and the heat that you're describing in these situations that these Holocaust survivors and uh, elderly Jews otherwise would not have access and would not be able to survive. And it's amazing to see how the times have changed that now, maybe you could say for the first time in history, the Jewish people have friends. A uh, very powerful story that I remember is of Natan Sharansky, that when the war broke out in Ukraine, he said, when I was a child during World War II, it said Jewish on my passport, and that meant nobody would help me, that everyone else might have access to help. But because I'm Jewish, I wasn't going to get any help. And I wished that I could erase that word Jewish from my passport so I could get help, or not him, but that, that just as the idea. And he said, what's amazing is today, if you are Jewish, then there are uh, tickets to Israel for you to take you out of Ukraine and bring you to Israel through, of course, the fellowship and our partners, the Jewish agency, and that there are all of these networks of Christians abroad who are helping the Jewish community inside of Ukraine to have the medicine, to have the food, to have everything that they need to survive, um, which you see within this darkness, there is so much light of how the world has progressed. So what I want to ask you, Gadi, I could listen to you talk about your experiences and your wisdom and your perspective for, for so long, but unfortunately we have to end. What message would you like our listeners to know about the situation in Ukraine and how do you think that they can help best support the people who are still inside of Ukraine? 
Yael, uh, first of all, uh, the war is going on uh, mm -hmm. for more than a year and there is no end in sight. So um, even if now the news are not always focused on Ukraine, you don't usually always hear every day about the situation in Ukraine, but the war is going on. And every visit that I come to Ukraine, I see the impact of this war, which is getting very, very difficult for people who are still staying there. People, uh, you know, not all of the Jews can leave Ukraine now because they have, um, you know, like mothers have their husbands and maybe children fighting in the Ukrainian army so they don't want to leave them. Um, elders can't leave because, uh, because you know, maybe uh, their um, spouse is died and buried in, 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 in Ukraine and they don't want to, to leave their home country. And even if Ukraine is not on the news all the time, the war is still going on. People are still in danger. People still need the, the help and the support with basic things. That, as, as I said before, like we take it from grant, granted, but for them, it's so difficult. Just live, living in this situation when you have no electricity, in the winter, it gets dark, you know, in in 4 p.m. And what do you do? A, a things like basic things like that you need to, to survive daily, like power banks, a, emergency lights are so difficult to find. And even if you find them, they are so expensive because of, because of the demand. A, they need help with those things. Water, food, medicine, it's still a big, big issue. And even if you don't hear about the war, know that it's still going on. It doesn't mean that the war ended. It's, it, it didn't end. It, it continues and it, it has it, its toll on, on the people who are living there. So keep, we need to keep our work. We need to keep the support for the Ukrainian people. Gadi, we at the fellowship and the entire world are so lucky to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining and for um, educating, enlightening us and sharing with us your experiences in Ukraine throughout this war. And God should just keep you safe and give you lots of strength. Thank you so much, Ian. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Conversations with Yael podcast. If you like what you have heard, please check out my weekly podcast, Nourish Your Biblical Roots, that explores the Jewish roots of the Christian faith with inspirational and ancient teachings. You can also visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. Follow me on Instagram at Yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at Yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next month.